Hello and welcome to Court Games, a Legend of the Five Rings podcast, funded by the Legend of the Five Rings Discord Patreon. This podcast is focused on the role-playing game, stories, and lore of Legend of the Five Rings. I'm Korva. I am Kikita Kaori, and we have a special guest today. Hi, everyone. Hi, uh, and welcome to Katrina Ostrander, who is the uh, ex-lead story writer for uh, Legend of the Five Rings and a uh, guest we've eagerly anticipated. We have indeed. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. I'm really glad to be here. It is It is really super, super great. And we've got a bunch of questions which we got from people on the Discord and all that kind of stuff. So I guess we should get started. Awesome. Sounds good. Right. So tell us about your background. And what led you to writing for Legend of the Five Rings? Yeah, so I guess the story goes back to 2010, where I found the fourth edition role-playing game on the shelves and um, started getting into that. This was before I started with Fantasy Flight Games full-time as an associate role-playing game producer, but that happened shortly thereafter I had been doing some homebrew design on my blog, Triple Crit, and I was generally getting into um, doing my own design and development for role-playing games. And in the background, L5R was just like this awesome game that I never had the chance to play with people because it was, it, it kind of has its own thing. Like either you're interested in East Asian mythology, history, samurai, and Japanese culture in general, or, you know, that's kind of like, eh, I could take it or leave it. A lot of people, you know, are kind of like one or 10. <laughs> and so that was kind of always in the back of my mind. But I started working at Fantasy Flight on the Star Wars as a Edge of the Empire role playing game. And about a year and a half into working at L5R as a RPG producer, the opportunity to become the fiction editor opened up. And I had been working primarily on adventures in the role-playing game department, and I leapt at the opportunity to work on stories, which were my first love from the moment I could learn how to read. Um, so that was a, a really special opportunity that opened up. And it was a couple years later after I had already done the work on some Android and Arkham Horror novellas that Fantasy Flight Games announced that they had acquired the Legend of the Five Rings license and not just the license, but the IP. And I remember that day pretty vividly in terms of <laughs> one of my friends coming over to my cube and saying, you know, oh my God, you're going to die when you find out what IP we just got. And I was like, is it Legend of the Five Rings? Because by that point in my free time, I had started writing L5R fan fiction just for myself. And I had actually done a NaNoWriMo novel. And I think I got about like 43,000 words on that one. Wow. Featuring Sparrow Clan and the Crane Clan. Some days I'm like, oh man, that would be fun to like pick it back up and, and play around with it. And I'm sure that like going back, cause it was like, 2013, going back six years ago and being like, wow, this was terrible. What was I doing? <laughs> but it was actually a really great experience where I started to cut my teeth on the setting. And like, you will, you will learn a lot about the setting trying to write scenes yeah. that depict that world. <laughs> so I actually credit a lot of my work, not just, you know, preparing for RPG campaigns. I, I actually did start one around the same time in 2013 with a group of friends here in the Twin Cities. Um, got my husband into it, my at the time boyfriend, got him GMing, which was the best because it meant that I got <laughs> to play Legend of the yep. Five Rings. And a lot of the things that I learned both about myself as a writer doing NaNoWriMo and about the setting, having to do research in order to like dramatize that world, um, really paid off as soon as we got the license, the, the IP, and I started working on the role-playing game as well as the novella. So that's that's the long story about how I got oh, into great. the Legend of the Five Rings IP. And it's been a it's been a blast, and I've gotten to work with so many talented writers um, over the years, both for the role-playing game and for the fictions, and I think they've done just a fantastic job with it. That's great. So what were your first impressions for Rokugan and the Legend of the Five Rings? Yeah, the clans, I think, were, were really strong, and the whole 
um, like identifying with one in terms of like, which clan are you? Like that quiz is really interesting. Somehow I got dragon the first time that I took that quiz and I was like, this isn't right. I'm definitely crane. And then later I was like, no, I'm scorpion. (laughs) (laughs) I thought I was a crane, but no. But otherwise, like some of my first impressions of it were kind of like, man, they got so many things wrong about Japanese culture in here. Or like, this is spelled wrong because I was also, um, I discovered the IP around the same time that I was taking 300 level Japanese in college and learning all about like the history and working in Japanese culture classes. I was the one of the editors on the only undergraduate East Asian studies journal in the US. So I was just like, why would they do this? And I still kind of run into that sometimes going through the lore is like this this literally is Sera as in like sailor mm. yes. in an island name. Yes. No. <laughs> so it was like, I mean, it was just, it appealed to me so much because I had been to Japan when I was 12 and I was very interested in the culture, like the entire time growing up. And so finding a world where I could role play and like explore that culture that I was so fascinated in learning more about was really great. And then it had the fantastical bent. And even sometimes when it seemed a little bit um, like over the top to me, like the egg of Panku and false Totori, all those things are like, whoa, there's a lot going on there. But I mean, I, it felt like kind of coming home in terms of like, this is the setting that really speaks to me and my interests and the type of stories that I wanted to play in and tell. That sounds great. Very, yeah. It's, it's, it's a big, interesting setting with all sorts of big stuff and uh, a lot of history. Good and bad. Yeah. <laughs> That was probably the hardest part was because the fourth edition tries to bring you into like the 20 year history of the setting and they can only go so far. And like that book of air in the beginning goes over a couple of the centuries and what's going on. And then you realize as you get into the weeds, it's like, wow, this is, this is only like a drop. And it felt like so much at the time just to take in. So I think it's sometimes I have said that L5R's biggest strength and its biggest hurdle is its law is yes. there's there's so much which is brilliant but there's so much which is can be terrifying is really a double-edged sword double-edged tetsubo quite frankly <laughs> <laughs> so you were very uh involved therefore in the restart when when ffg said right we're now going to put this out there mm-hmm. so for, from from your point from your perspective what were your what were your big worries when it was getting started and what would you say were your big triumphs <laughs> well i mean i definitely had some trepidation about retelling the stories of many of these characters that have they're they're kind of legendary in in the fandom i mean okoto totori is such a big part of the of the original story and characters like Hotaru, uh, Hotaru and Kachiko, um, well, Hoturi and Kachiko at the time. Um, and so it's, there's a lot of reservations in terms of like people, you know, human beings worked on these characters, poured their souls into these characters. Like these are extensions of people. And so when you're retelling those, you know, part of, Part of the back of my mind is just like, oh, God, what would so-and-so think if they read what I was doing with this character? And that's hard. And, you know, it's like I want to be respectful of what came before, but also, you know, those stories have already been told. So it doesn't really make sense to just retread them one for one. And the other thing I had to kind of keep in mind, too, is like, this is an IP that isn't owned by just one person anymore. It was owned by AEG and then WotC and then AEG again and then Fantasy Flight. So it's like a lot of people have worked on this and this is my contribution is kind of how mm-hmm. I started to think about it. So I was definitely nervous about how the fans would react to some of the um differences in the characters, how people would react to characters staying the same. I think that for the most part, people seem to have responded positively to a lot of the changes. Um, I know it was a big, I remember watching when her father's daughter first came out and 
seeing people's reactions to Hotaru instead of Hoturi. Um, those Were you behind that? Yes. Yes, I was. Um, <laughs> and it was like, there were several reasons for it. A lot of it being that there were just very few women main characters in mm-hmm. that were daimyo or clan champion during that era. And I think that AEG in the later years really changed that up so that it wasn't like patrilineal, agnatic primogeniture. Like, I don't think that it, it kind of just seemed like which card is cool. Let's make them the clan champion or, you know, story choices too, um, mm-hmm. were, had an effect on that. But it's, I, I kind of wanted to, um, I guess I just wanted to see, like, have a, a different character there. Um, I think that, I mean, gender doesn't play too big of a role in the setting in terms of like people's expectations for you. I think that the, in the new version of the setting, we've really gotten away from that. Um, but I also kind of wanted to still explore that relationship, which is why Hotaru and Kachiko are still together is like, how much drama can you get out of a couple? Just the very idea of them being together is so dangerous and so politically explosive, which is why, like, Kuanin can either be right or he can be wrong about mm-hmm. the letter, and same with Kakita Yoshi. But it doesn't really matter what the letter means. It's just the idea of them being together is so explosive. And so that was one of my, um, I think, probably one of the favorite things that I get to write about and get to explore is, like, that relationship. And, of course, getting to see all the other new characters that we have and bringing back some of the old. So it's just... It's it's been really special to be able to work with all of these characters and to work with the writers to bring them to life again. Awesome. So what kind of themes did you want to bring into L5R, emphasize the most in Legend of the Five Rings, especially the reboot, as opposed to the old version? Yeah, so I think that the biggest difference between new 5R and old 5R, um, as people call them, is just the levels of the stories and I feel like the old story is much more epic in terms of you have these characters that kind of are blips in a or like moments in the plot gears and so they're kind of there churning along with the story and things are much more grandiose and fantastical in the the old version of the story and this time (laughs) I feel like we really wanted to drill down into the personal kind of internal conflicts of the characters and really drill down into their humanity. So the supernatural is almost taking like a backseat to the personal struggles of these samurai. And so you have, I think in, in this version, what could be perceived of as the Scorpion Clan coup is not caused by a prophecy, but rather the personal failings and kind of short-sightedness and character flaws of the different characters. And certainly Bayushi Shoju misinterpreting the prophecy and coming to enact it is, you know, a human failing on that part. But we really didn't get to see that take place until like after mm-hmm. the fact. They kind of backfilled that in. And so I wanted to explore with this version. And, and it can be hard sometimes too, like we identify so closely with these clans. It's very difficult to watch characters making mistakes or not acting in a wise way a lot of the times. But it's also like that's where the story has come from, I think. And the uh-huh. the other thing is just this is the this is Act One. Like Act One, I think just kind of finished up, and Act Two is now. I think Clan War, the box got announced, and Rokugan at War is the name of the next. Um, dynasty pack um so we're now into all of these interplays these personal failures result in the clan war which i'm I'm really eager to explore and to see how tyler and the team take that from here okay that, that that's that's a, that's a fantastic answer really kind of <laughs> no, that's, that's, that's really interesting uh if so when you're writing for l5r is there a clan you find easiest to write for is there a clan you find a challenge to write for? So this is kind of funny, but I even though I identify as Scorpion Clan, I find that Crane Clan is easiest to write for. They're 
the tragedy that kind of is one of their themes and like the beauty that only lasts for a moment. And so you try to capture it in time with art um, to preserve it and turning yourself into art with your performance or with your fashion. Um, that really appeals to me. And I think there's also like a romanticism to that clan um, where as, you know, courtliness and politics, half of that, at least in the Heian era, was the like courtships and the romance. And so I really associate that with the Crane clan. And Scorpion is great when you can do those twists and when you can have the plots and schemes coming out. But there's something about, and I think I the first piece that I wrote was Kakita Asami and her fretting over Doji Kwanan in the core rule book. And that was because those characters and like the tragedy that befalls them just really speaks to me, I think. And it's easy for me to write because that's very <laughs> personal, internal, and it's, it's a lot of fun to write for. I think Dragon Clan is the one that is most difficult for me because I, I know what they're doing in the setting in terms of like being individualistic and going in a different way, but they're being so isolated. It's difficult to get them involved sometimes. And that's why, um, in the reboot, it was really important to have a couple more reasons for them to have to rely on other clans. Like having a low birth rate means you are so much more invested in what the other clans are doing because you're not self-sufficient anymore. So I think it's also possibly why they've been given a task which they didn't really have, bef which before they just sat in the mountains and were, were strange. But they've kind of been given a, a historic historian role. Yeah, and what was kind of interesting about that is I believe that those themes are present in the first edition RPG materials in terms of their task is to reflect on and record the the empire and I so discovering that I really wanted to bring it to the fore because I think that it had kind of been pushed back and they had kind of just turned into like plot devices and and that's the struggle <laughs> with Dragon Clan is not letting them be Dragon Clan ex machina and that gives them a reason to be out and about and doing stuff yes <laughs> we foresaw this therefore we are here right now is uh I don't know. That's that's the weak version of of Dragon Clan. It, it makes it easier for when if you're a historian. We foresaw this, so we we sent people here to write down the history. I've actually already written it. We just need to, some people to be here to verify it all happened. So, you know. I, that would be a fun character to run. So a lot of work has clearly gone into addressing you know sensitive issues in this setting. It's it's very difficult to write in Asian uh, when you have this interplay of cultures, and we also have this interplay of gender roles and sexual orientation. Mm -hmm. um, I played L five R you know starting in the nineties. I've mm. been writing fan fiction since the nineties um, for L five R, and uh, so seeing so I know how hard it is to to do that. Um, do you have any thoughts about how you would like to see that story, uh, that addressing of uh, sensitive issues proceeding forward? For example, um, with stories involving things like disability or um, also adding additional, like we've got Ivory, that sort of, what, mm -hmm. what, what do you see going forward? What are your thoughts? on? So I think that going forward, it's going to be increasingly important to get the sort of cultural consultation that is needed in order to explore those things. Um, I think it's easy to kind of feel like, oh, well, you know, I've taken some classes on this or like I've read a lot, you know, I'm, I understand the, the facts and the, the history. Therefore, that makes me qualified to write about these things. But it's, that's different from the lived experience of people, um, who are of Asian descent living in America um, and so on, and the lives of different cultures living together in East Asia um, and the history that they have together. And so I think going forward, it's going to be more and more important to bring on um, cultural consultants and other people that can be representative of those groups and understand the lived experience in a way that just reading scholarly work can't quite, you know, comprehend or can't quite capture, um, just because they're the ones that deal with 
you know, the negative interactions at conventions when such and such a thing happens where the, the person running the game or the person who's designing the game just can't even think to realize that, oh, this is a thing that conjures up these sorts of feelings. That's that's hard. Um, and, and it's hard to make mistakes and be wrong about those things. More importantly, it's hard to realize when you've hurt other people because that's that's the entire reason for wanting to address these in the first place is to make it so that you're not hurting others um, with the games that you're making, with the games that you're playing. Um, and so I think, you know, L5R still has a lot of work to do in that regard. Um, I think we were really lucky. We had um, one of our copy editors is very sensitive to issues of disability, and she was invaluable in addressing the disabilities in L5R because those used to be very black and white in terms of um, if you had a physical disability or a mental disability, um, it was usually like really punitive. And so players kind of wanted to avoid getting them invoked as much as possible. And what I really liked about um, what the direction that we went with some of these disadvantages was it's a spectrum. It's not just black and white in terms of like your limitations. And I, I hope that that brings a little bit more like light. It sheds a little bit more light onto the lives of people who live with disabilities on a daily basis that, you know, they're not just like shut out of doing certain things entirely. It's like there's like mediums and d depending on what kind of accessibility options are available to them, they can, you know, take full advantage of everything. And the, so I think it's it's a little bit of work that needs to be done more. Um, I think it's also something that could be addressed better in the fictions is how the characters are treated. Um, I think for Shizue in particular, um, Shizue and Ide Tadaji both have club feet, which mm -hmm. realizing, you know, they're I think they're the, some of the only characters besides. Um, Kaido Kosori, who have a disability or an impairment um, for their mobility, or I find it interesting that they both had club feet, and I think that I, I wish that I could have had, not like had more variety, but it's just, it feels strange that they both have the same. Mm. Well, you've got Bayushi Shoju, but she, yes. he's, 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 he's managing. Mm -hmm. I know that I would like to see in the storyline um, someone with a mental disability uh, of some sort. I think that that would be interesting. Uh, you know, I've got a character in my RPG right now who is blessed by Hote. He has Down syndrome. But uh, I, I like the idea of how culture, a different culture like this would address dis that sort of disability. Um, there's some troublesome RPGs in old lore that have uh, have them all locked up. Not <laughs> not cool. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's a it's it's a tough uh, road hoe when you start thinking about well, how did they deal with it historically? Not very well. <laughs> how can, how can they deal with it given it's a non it's a it's a pre modern society? Mm -hmm. if, but they do have magic, and so that there is that kind yes. of but but on the other hand, but also. It, I actually find right. that very interesting the way it interacts with the mechanics because in AEG's L5R, you would assign disadvantage. And so saying mm -hmm. you are slightly short-sighted is worth fewer points than you are straight up blind. But in 5th mm -hmm. edition, it's literally the same mechanic. You re-roll two dice, except it's how often does that apply and the more it applies, the more void points you get. So it kind of sort of balances in an interesting sort of way. Whereas if you say, mm -hmm. I've got kind of bad eyesight, even though it's not, even so exactly the same mechanic kind of applies to both, it does self-balance. And I think you can, therefore, as a role-playing game, balance those things in your characters in a way that would be harder to do in the old version of the system. That's certainly the hope. And I think the, the real takeaway, and I wish that we had been... Um, more upfront and explicit about this is that you need to play the game that's right for your table and you need to adapt the setting to be what's right for your table. And so I'm not, I'm not going to say that you have to run the canonical Rokugan at your table. I, I think that's inappropriate and it won't work for some groups. And many, many gaming groups I know like make their own tweaks to the Rokugan 
Fourth edition, of course, had Rokugan Your Way and emphasized that. But I, I just want to reiterate that home for any of your listeners is, <laughs> you know, what is fun for your characters to play and for, for your players to engage with? And what is not fun? And don't do the things that aren't fun. Like, yeah. this is a leisure activity. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, with, with the card game, they're all playing the same rock again. But with the role-playing yes. game, the rock again you play literally only has to make sense to the people around your table. Mm-hmm. That's it. And if someone else is doing something else, that doesn't matter because you know, your game – and you can have different rock agains for different groups if you're playing more mm-hmm. than one group. But I, I think, too, that even because we have a published setting – that gets explored either in Emerald Empire or Courts of Stone. It was also important that um, since, again, we're, we're playing in a game world where you are a participant, um, I thought it was important that we have things like, um, you know, marriage between people of the same gender and um, other things that, you know, it's, if if you want to have sexism and homophobia as struggles to work against, like Night Witches, for example, is a is a different RPG where you're all women and sexism is one of the things that you're struggling against mm-hmm. in your unit. And so it might be um interesting storytelling for some people to like deal with those. But I think too that as as storytellers, it's kind of our responsibility to portray those things responsibly. And I think that I, I don't know that there are any examples of homophobic characters or overtly sexist characters in the setting. But I think it's important too that when you show those unfortunate, you know, those wrong attitudes, that you're also showing them that this is not the correct way. Mm. This is these right. people are not good. These people yeah. are bad. Yeah. <laughs> right, um, right. And I think you can do that with subtext and with context. Um, but again, that's, that's something that I've definitely been cognizant of, um, when trying to write for this setting, when trying to portray women characters, when trying to portray, um, bisexual characters and, or homosexual characters. And I know that we still have work to do. Um, yeah, I think we've got be. a few people. Ho- yeah, we've got a few people hoping, holding out for a you know, happy, uh, happy crab couple on the <laughs> wall, um, fighting Oni back to back, mm. and uh, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. holding hands in in the in between fights. I think that uh, uh, yeah, not during fights. That just gets into trouble. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a couple, of, a couple of uh, big Hitabushi who yeah. have a relationship would yeah. be pretty cool. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, uh, like no one's no one's getting at uh, Doji Hotaru because she's a lady champion, which you know she's the the, the people disagree with what she's doing, but mm-hmm. it's nothing to do with her being a woman. Exactly, and that just blows my mind too that 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 was ever in the setting, considering that you have Lady Doji and you have Lady Shinjo right off the bat, mm. and Lady Amaterasu. Yeah, so it's like mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> I guess the the idea of it being historically accurate, um, but that's that's the balance too that the the writers face is how much mm-hmm. are you trying to make it so that you're respectful of the original cultures and you're trying to show those in a um, in a correct or, or a good light versus you know this is a fantastical version and again this is a game setting yeah and how much how much are you imposing a particular Western ideal and how much mm-hmm. are you just not trying to be awful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I, yeah. I, yeah. So I think a lot of the stories um, that we wanted to tell really came down to what kind of difficulties does Bushido present mm. to human beings with human needs and human feelings? And those, you can get a ton of mileage out of those without having to really get into, um, for example, Bayushi Kachiko was motivated by the sexism in her family because she wasn't allowed to inherit and that's she's still the eldest daughter of the shosudo daimyo but it remains to be seen i think we'll get an answer about why um shosudo hametsu is the champion is the daimyo and not her but it's not having to do with that being a patriarchal family this time yeah 
No. Yeah. So that's a more likely her marriage to Shoju or some something mm-hmm. similar. Or, so or, makes sense. Well, I have to say, given this current iteration, is she's crazy, crazily ambitious. She is terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> or possibly even she, you know, so she, if she she's better off marrying the and being being a power couple with the mm-hmm. champion than being a daimyo of this one family. Mm-hmm. But who knows? But yeah, it's it's not <laughs> you're a girl. You can't be. Yes. You can't be in charge of things. You're a girl, and I, yeah, I think that's completely, absolutely right. You don't. You don't want that because that then tells a whole huge swathe of the potential market to say, nope, you don't want to play this game because you're a girl. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Shall we? Shall we move slightly? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's a heavy topic. Deserves you know time and consideration paid to it. But again, you know, it's it's. It's a work in progress. I wouldn't say that anyone feels like, ah, yes, L5R has accomplished these things. It's like, no, there's still work to be done. L5R is at least trying to point in a, in a better direction. But what is your current role with L5R right now? Are you a, I know that you left FFG. Are you kind of an advisor? Do you still edit? Are you just an enthusiastic fan at this point? Are you <laughs> sneaking in at night and making changes in the documents when no one's looking? <laughs> No, um, so I've continued in my role as fiction editor in a freelance capacity. So I was doing the fiction editing for the fictions through the inheritance cycle. Um, I still am working on the novellas for L5R in terms of, um, editing those. The Dragon Clan novella just came out. Marie Brennan did a fantastic job. I encourage everyone to read it and enjoy it. I know that there are more novellas coming down the pipeline. I think that's kind of assumed at this point. Um, and the other thing that I'm excited about doing right now is I'm getting back into the shoes of a writer. And so I'm excited to have some fictions coming down the pipeline from me, hopefully in the not too distant future. So yay. <laughs> oh, yeah. We'll be looking forward to those. Yeah. Yeah. I've got my hands in a couple different pots in the L5R right now. Um, so I'm still actively involved. I'm just not full time at, at Fantasy Flight. So speaking of writing and such like, uh, and not just writing, I guess. Do you have a favorite character, and if so, whom and why? So I think it has to be Doji Hotaru, just because I was so involved with her development during the reboot and working very closely in terms of identifying the the look for her. And I mean, I, I also have a soft spot for Naginata, so that would kind of goes perfectly. <laughs> but I love her relationship with Kachiko and how complicated it is and how fun it is to write for. I think that would probably be the easiest one. I mean, Robert Denton has done a fantastic job with Shibatsukune, and she's also a favorite of mine just because she's every anime protagonist that <laughs> <laughs> I grew up with. So she really speaks to me on many levels. But I think Doji Hotaru is more complicated than Tsukune. And so for me, that just like has there's a lot of story there that is yet to be told. So I'm excited to see what Doji Hotaru gets up to. Good. I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> um, what is your, I've I, I got to ask, I know it's hard to pick from your babies, but <laughs> what's your favorite story of the ones that have been published in new 5R so far? Yeah, and, oh. and if, if there's a difference between this, my favorite of your ones and your favorite of what the other people have made. I know it's hard. <laughs> yes, the hard question. Pick one. Yeah. Um, I think that... Working with Robert Denton on, I believe it's The Last Stone Played, was just, it was really fantastic to work with him on that one. And the, like, that moment in the story is so pivotal. And I, I don't know, I have a lot of fondness for that piece just because it took us in such a different direction than the old storyline. And Robert came up with so many great ideas. And seeing where Shahai and Daisetsu kind of end up in all of this, like the the inheritance cycle is is definitely my favorite. <laughs> um, 
out of all the fiction that we've produced so far. I'm also really excited for where those two end up. Well, well, those three now. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and that's all, like, Shahai is in the capital because of the choices that the Hadamoto made at Gen Con. So that's, that's one of the other things is that the entire inheritance cycle would have been completely different, I think, if it hadn't been for the choices that the Hadamoto made, the choices that the Shogun made with regards to Matsutsuko and the fires of justice and the fires of war. So for me, it's just been really rewarding because I think the inheritance cycle shows a lot of the story decisions that have been made. Um, the butterfly effects kind of turning into a hurricane by that point. Again, I think things would have been very different if different things had been chosen. This kind of segues into the next question, uh, because obviously that's talking about tournament victories, people winning card games, and then you know making a choice, and that then filtering into the game plotline. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have any thoughts about players influencing their storyline not through tournament wins, but through other approaches? Yeah, so um, I am aware of the winter courts that were held, um, the play-by-post forum games that were hosted by really dedicated volunteers. I mean, that's kind of the the thing that boggles my mind is just the, the amount of volunteer hours that went into creating those games and, and running them and telling those stories. Um, and I believe that those had a impact, although maybe not as major as expected, on the old CCG storyline. There were those. There were other things that people had done between uh, there were like volunteer activities that people did that ended up making a difference. They had, you know, story story events that were, um, you know, things like the costume contests and that mm-hmm. sort of thing went out to all different kinds of things yep. in the history of L5R. I mean, well, actually, mm-hmm. some some big story points were because of card choices people tended to make in the game like uh false mm-hmm. false Saturi literally came from i believe one individual no it was a vote oh was it i i, I yeah it was a vote in the imperial assembly so this was not card game players okay. at all but you could join the imperial assembly and they had a they had a vote as to who could be a who which of these characters and they had one character for each clan oh, okay. would be be a traitor for their clan, and uh, everyone voted for Hattori to be Aww. the traitor ah. to the clan, and uh, that's where the false Hattori came from. Same with uh, Akoto Kage being a Kolat master. That was a vote, vote okay. two. Uh, I believe that so, th- things like the Kolat involvement of the unicorn was was more to do with – I think that was a card game. People tended to play a lot of Kolat cards with them because they worked well. And that then mm-hmm. became a storyline. Mm-hmm. I think there's stuff like that, but and the and the crab uh, shadowlands thing early on was also <laughs> because crab liked playing a lot of shadowlands cards in their deck early on. So, mm. so yeah, I, I think I would I would certainly hope that there was some route for us poor role players to occasionally do something. But that is also sort of happening because we're getting people who get to go to like worlds and that get to play some games there, and the that the wedding convention scenario. Mm-hmm. did lead to yeah. a plotline. That was one. So I really wanted to push for role players to have more of an input. And that's why we have some scenarios like Wedding at Kyoto Castle. Um, I also got to write the wrap-up document for that with the, I believe there were charts and everything. It was Ooh. fun to oh, yeah. pull everybody's results together in an Excel spreadsheet. Um <laughs> I really hope that FFG continues with those kinds of opportunities. Um, it would be ideal if, if there were a couple opportunities other than the big conventions, because I was just looking at the Origins Hotel block last night, and I was like, oof, this mm. is this is spendy, and Gen Con is even worse. So I think it, it just kind of comes down to you know, your limited resources, sadly. And I know that the, the community is, has been really generous with their time in the past. But I also feel like AEG took advantage of that a little bit. And so I think probably FFG just has to be more cautious about unpaid labor, mm. for example. <laughs> um, which is why 
I think there's there's probably fewer opportunities just because like running an official winter court and you're not paying any of the GMs is kind of tough. Yeah. So I have faith in the community for the community to continue to create opportunities for each other. I'm hopeful for the more opportunities for FFG to present to non-tournament winners to um, be able to participate and affect the storyline because I think that's just that's such a part of L5R and so I hope I hope to see that continue. Wedding at Kyoto Castle was a lot of fun to write and it was mm-hmm. fantastic to see what people chose and and how many different scenarios there were. Like some people had to like write in their own endings because <laughs> they went so differently from what was anticipated. That was wonderful so, to read. Did they marry person one, person two, person three? Well. Actually, you see, <laughs> they there, my PC. there was this I tree. Great. <laughs> there was this tree outside, and we awakened the spirit. And oh my lord! <laughs> I know a guy who played the um, Courts of Stone, and uh, his goal through the whole thing was to seduce Yoritomo, and he's quite proud of it on the Discord. <laughs> he managed it. Uh, I don't know. I don't know that seducing Yoritomo is that difficult. He seems like he'd be up for. It, it, it was a gentleman <laughs> unicorn. Oh, this is the Winter's Embrace. I'm not entirely sure that. Embrace. I'm I'm okay. fairly sure that Eurotomo is is his own best um, twenty men, regardless. <laughs> <laughs> so Yoritomo has a sidebar for romancing Yoritomo in mm-hmm. the adventure. So is it just I yes? Mean, <laughs> Yes, I believe it. The is it's really, really difficult. So that's why the player made it his goal. I think mm-hmm. that was very hilarious. Yes. So I'm going to ask an indulgent question. We've gotten some of these questions have come from our list. One came from David Gordon, so I'll blame him for this one. Okay. And he he asked uh, if you could say who created the current iteration of the Deer Clan and its inspirations. So unfortunately, the development for Courts of Stone happened just after I had left. So I was not involved with the creation of the Deer Clan. Um, My writing is in that book um, in a couple other sections, but my my memory of... the original development plans is so hazy and I'm not really sure. Like I can't, I wasn't involved in the, you know, actual laying out of that book and the editing. So I couldn't say um, who developed that, but I certainly the the deer clan seem to wear many hats. Um, (laughs) I think there's a lot of opportunities there for people to play different kinds of characters, but unfortunately that was not something that uh, I got to work on as part of my tenure. Uh, now, a big chunk of the role-playing game that I think a lot of people have been been interested in but not quite sure about uh, is intrigues. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so do you think you'd be able to talk a little, about, little bit about intrigues? Yeah, so I think that there's been a lot of misunderstanding about when to run an intrigue and certainly how to run an intrigue because of how many questions people get. And... Um, you know, when you are dealing with print books, you only have so many pages. And so I think it, based off of people's reactions, it would have been great to have a couple more pages devoted to that. But I think that the other kind of difficulty in wrapping your head around intrigues is that traditionally those sorts of scenes have been entirely narrative, not mechanized, not structured time. And so I think that there's the, the biggest mistake that I would say is probably happening around the table is not using intrigues when they're appropriate or when they're needed. The, you can, I think the, the way to think about them in a big picture sense is they are combat style encounters. You roll initiative, you have actions, you take turn order, um, you're engaging in a, mechanical system where you're trying to build up momentum points, but those momentum points will do different things depending on what your objective is. And it's in combat, it's really easy because the objective is like incapacitate all of your enemies. And the way that you track that is 
by whittling down their hit points, you know, their, their fatigue and landing critical injuries on them. And then you know that you've won, but in a social encounter, your objective is not incapacitating all of your enemies. Otherwise it would be a combat skirmish, but you can try to compromise all of your enemies or, you know, more typically spreading a rumor or um, trying to persuade someone or trying to get some hot, juicy gossip. And I think that the best time to use them is when you have the group of players who are at a large scene like a banquet or an official court convening or even in a courtroom proceeding. And instead of everyone being all together and being able to talk to each other in real time, intrigues are there to help you modulate um like when i run a lot of social scenes and players are up to different things i have to cut back and forth here's what you're doing here's what you're doing give me a roll we'll come back to you in a second give me a roll come back to you in a second that's when intrigues can shine is because each of the players is doing something different um they're rolling different things um it might be tricky for people because the the actions are different and the actions actually have an effect on the TN and those things like that. But I mean, I would be happy to come back and chat with you a little bit more about how those work just because there's there's so much to dig into them. And I don't know that we have the time today to really get deeper than just some a brief overview like that. I mean, we would love that so <laughs> much. I mean, I think I think we could really do with a a good deep dive on intrigues and how to use them and when to use them. I think that would be a fantastic thing. So Yeah, maybe I can find someone who'd be willing to come on because I don't know that there's an actual play of an intrigue mm. available for people to reference. I think that'll be that would be excellent. If we if to try and put something together that would be, you know, confused about intrigues. Here you go. <laughs> yeah. That would be great. We'll awesome. we'll see about doing that. Uh you know, I we can ask around to find an find another player that should not be hard mm. <laughs> um <laughs> but uh you know maybe sometime a little later in the year mm -hmm. yeah, that would be good all right yeah. do you have anything that you would like to tell us before you have to go um about what you're doing now what's coming up things we should look out for oh what can i say um i don't know i'm really excited to see where the most recent world storyline choice takes us I was intrigued that that was the choice chosen for Toturi. That that was definitely not the one that I expected people to choose. What what were you expecting? I thought that people were going to be intrigued by his um going after Daisetsu. Oh, okay. Um that and the um the going to the monastery, I think people had picked up that his monastery was the same as the one that Sotori was supposed to be going to. Oh, okay. that was noted. Yes. Ooh. So I thought either of those choices would be really interesting just in terms of like what kind of future stories they will entail. But I mean, that's that's kind of the beauty of giving people these choices, right, is because you don't know what they're going to pick. And then you get to be just as surprised by the story as as the fans are. <laughs> uh, we do have a last question. I don't know how much you can you can uh, give us on this one, but uh, the, the this is another question we got from the uh, our listeners. Uh, would you please give us one clue as to the future of Rockgan, Almighty Oracle? <laughs> uh, let me close my eyes and consult the spirits. Um, I foresee a lot of conflict coming up. For <laughs> no one could have predicted that. Yeah. I, th I think it'll be interesting to see where things start to go for now, because I think we're, we're about to see more overt military confrontations between the different clans, and certainly the multiplayer rules that are coming for real in the, mm. the clan war box. I think like I'm excited to see what kind of stories people tell with their cards once you can have, you know, three or four people playing all at once. But I would imagine that multiple fronts are going to be opened up in the near future. And I'll be really curious to see because I don't know that every clan is going to be fighting on the same side as itself. Well, yeah, no. there, there are some options uh. that lead to some 
interesting possibilities on that front. Yeah. At this at this point in the storyline, I'm not entirely sure that what's left of the Crane Clan is going to make it to the end of Clan Wars. <laughs> yeah. Because things are looking oh, pretty poor dire. Crane. We're going to have yeah. the crane, crane Clan fighting the Crane Clan, fighting the other Crane Clan, fighting the lion. Yeah, and the, fighting and the mantis, fighting the other lion. Because you know, <laughs> luckily. The crane, I think, are the best at making allies. They, uh, yeah. <laughs> they may have to we'll be. See. <laughs> Will they have the opportunity? <laughs> yes, that's the question. They haven't exactly had much opportunity recently. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, I think that that's uh, that's our time. Yep. We have a million more questions, but we don't necessarily <laughs> no. want to take all your day. <laughs> I'm gonna have to go back out and start shoveling again we just got like eight inches here in minnesota it's the day before thanksgiving oh my goodness well uh, i guess you can be having a nice quiet thanksgiving (laughs) (laughs) before we let you go is there any place around on the internet where people can find you if they want to find out more about your work and what you do yes so you can absolutely find me on twitter that is at lindevi l-i-n-d-e-v-i um, that's where I think I post the most regularly. I have, you know, when I'm working on L5R and I come up with other things, I'll post those as well for people to download. And, you know, I, I try to share interesting things when I can. Otherwise, my portfolio is at katrinaostrander.com. My blog is triplecrit.com, although I need to fix the SSL certificate on that right now. So <laughs> it's probably unsafe for you to visit, according to Firefox and Chrome. Um, so I just haven't had the time to, to fix that. But I do occasionally post um, things on my blog. Yeah, I think that's pretty much is it. That's great. Thank you so much for coming on and talking to us. We really appreciate it. We appreciate it so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. This was a pleasure to chat with both of you. And I look forward to um, chatting intrigues with you sometime soon. Yes. Cool. Well, uh, have a great holiday. Uh, For me, this is Kita Kaori. May the fortunes favor you. And I've been Korva. And until we meet again, keep your jade handy. (laughs) 